Mental Health Boot Camp Podcast. This is the podcast where four therapists, three of us Canadian, one of us Americans, serve you cutting edge mental health knowledge. I'm Dr. Ryan House, clinical psychologist from Pasadena, California. And I'm Dr. Brooke Lewis, a registered clinical counselor from the greater Vancouver area. And I'm Joanna Boyd, psychotherapist from the greater Vancouver area. I'm Chris Boyd, registered clinical counselor from Coquitlam. Right on. That's who we are. It's very warm in Canada right now. It's warmer in Canada than it is here in the States, or at least in Southern California, which is wild. Uh, And you guys are coping famously, very politely, I would imagine. Yeah, we're staying cool, drinking lots of water. I actually shifted, uh, I had called some of my clients to see if they could do virtual today instead of coming in. Although the office is air conditioned, but my little doggos just love to stay upstairs unless I kindly invite them downstairs to join me. So I have to say, would you like to watch a show? And then Bear will come down and they say, Panda, would you like to join us? And then Panda will come down. Oh, wow. But if I'm not in the basement, they'll stay upstairs and then I'm worried they're going to die. So because it's too hot, too hot. And no one does air conditioning up there. No. Wow. You have polite dogs as well in Canada. I had no, no idea that that uh, went all the way to the canines. It's great. It's true. It's true. Well, somehow, okay. some houses of AC. Just okay. Yeah. yeah. None of ours. <laughs> yeah. And not as common as where you live there. Yeah. I'm sure it's a staple. It's kind of a must must have for a lot of places down here. Sure. Not everyone, not every place does, but it's pretty important. But yes, gosh. I'm just thinking about those dogs again. I just think the dogs saying, sorry, don't mean to interrupt. I didn't mean to interrupt your process, right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what this is all about. Oh, I'm giving you a hard time, man. Sorry about that. Uh, guys, so anything new in the world of mental health that you're aware of? I know that the the APA conference is going on right now in Washington, D.C., because I keep getting um, notifications about that. American Psychological Association, a bunch of people get together and share research and fun things like that. Yeah, so it's more research focused, right? Versus clinical focused? A lot of it, yeah. A lot, a lot of people say it's more more research than clinical. I do think they have some clinical stuff to do there, but it's mostly people sharing um, research studies that they've conducted and you know, data. A lot of academics go there. Certainly some clinicians go there, but it's uh, APA loves their research. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Any, any major shifts or changes coming down the chute for the APA? Well, actually, I did hear that today there was a, there was one group where uh, there were three uh, TikTok therapists who were t- psychologists who were also very active on TikTok, who were sharing kind of how and why and what they do, um, which I think is interesting. That's kind of, you know, definitely mental health awareness is uh, is all over social media. And these are folks who use the the medium TikTok to uh, to spread some helpful mental health messages. So it's kind of cool. Great. Yeah. yeah, I'm glad we're doing that. Social media is so interesting because by the time we like catch up to this, like apparently some job interviews are going to be done on TikTok. Like they're going to use it for yeah, yeah. And uh, so now mental health or marketing, then a new platform is going to come around, right? And then we're all going to have to shift over, relearn, rejig all of our content and. Sure. Yeah. 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 This this coming from the uh, the people who you know we built our mental health platform on a website, <laughs> right? <laughs> Not an app. And then uh, and then a year ago decided let's start a podcast, right? So you know that's still pretty hip, but uh, yeah, we're behind a bit. Maybe we should start a TikTok. I get on the TikTok. <laughs> I think we're already behind there. I think we need to find what the next thing is and get an early start on that one, whatever that might be. If anyone out there knows what the next big thing is beyond TikTok, 
write us info at mentalhealthbootcamp.com. We're happy to. We're in. We're up for the the new hip thing, whatever that might be. Um, yeah, I was thinking about trying to maybe send out um, like a, a newsletter via fax machine. Do you think that might be okay? Yeah, oh, nice. I think that's very modern. We could fax people some some mental health information. Do you still have a fax machine? I've never. I actually have always. I've, I've boycott. I boycott fax machines. I do not have one. Never had one. Wow. Yeah. But out of all the things to boycott, you have to expand on this. Well, that's just one. I I felt like even when I was getting started in my practice in the early two thousands, I was like, I I just don't see the necessity for this fax machine thing. Yeah. You know, with you the dot- a, yeah, you already had a pager. <laughs> I had a pager. Had right. Laser disc player. Laser disc player, like <laughs> Fax machine is not going anywhere. That's right. That's right. I had my God. I'll go back even farther. You know, VHSs and Betamax and all these things. I had all these the great technology, but fax machines with their dot matrix printers and and their it just seems cumbersome and lame. And and even in in the early two thousands, emails were better than that. So I figured I'm not doing fax machines. Yes, I have had to go to a local like Kinko's or other places where you can, at times where I actually had to use a fax machine, um, but it was cheaper and easier than buying a fax machine and getting an extra line dedicated to my fax machine. So that's my reason. I've held out. I think I'm okay now. Okay. I don't think we need faxes anymore. Do you guys have a fax machine? I mean, you're. The office does. Yeah, Yeah. both offices. Yeah. Yeah. So there's there's like a photocopier scanner Mm -hmm. backs all in one. Yeah. Yeah. Because some um, like third party payers up here and insurance companies only want you to fax things in. Wow. Yeah. It's a real pain in the butt. Yes. Totally. I've got a scanner. I've got a scanner that will, you know, I can scan documents quickly. But I just don't understand the facts anymore. So you must have been like an early adopter of a scanner then because you had to do something else besides facts, right? Yeah. The first signatures and that sort of thing. Yeah, sure. I've got, I've got all that going on. But anyway, I'm sure this is riveting listening for our listeners. <laughs> um, Are we actually recording right now? I kind of forgot we were. <laughs> Oh, yes. Forget it. We'll move on from the facts debate, the great facts debate of 2021, which shouldn't even be a debate. All right. Uh, we have a topic tonight, don't we? That's me. Now, you were saying something earlier about the fact that you I was stuck were for looking, a topic. looking for topics and Chris gave you topics that weren't broke enough. Is that yep. right? Yeah. What does that, that mean? Is, I don't know. They're kind of boring oh. a little bit like the last suggestion i gave you that was totally broke enough didn't you only give me one i can't remember <laughs> um, but yeah no I, it's just, I, I, I can give you a few yeah. it didn't seem engaging enough it apparently not if you can't remember and i can't either yeah but it's just as well chris because now her topic will be a surprise true ambush to you so that's true that's true trying to cheat a bit i'm i'm among the many people out there who are now wondering what makes a question or a topic broke enough there's something about that what kind of formula sort of secret sauce is necessary for it to be a broke enough question yeah no i'm not really sure i think i i tend to do ones that we ponder right like it's um not necessarily. Oh no, we did do some regarding like more diagnoses. Mm-hmm. No, but yours definitely. Yours are your yeah, questions are always true. very popular and always uh, always thinkers. They're always head scratchers yeah. for us, at least initially. Always pondering, pondering why I decided to join in tonight. I'm like, oh no. <laughs> yes. It should be fine. It should be fine. Okay. I tried to phrase it in a unique and funny way. All right. It always makes you ponder why why we did that, 
maybe not in a toxic masculinity sort of way, but in a... <laughs> oh, man. See, who wants Chris to pick topics? Not okay. me. Oh, jeez. Chris, sorry, buddy. We love you. This was just, there was an easy okay. joke. Easy joke to make. The yeah. one topic that you did that we were just not going to let you forget it. It was a gotcha question. Yeah. And uh, we should probably just delete that one. Yeah. Call it episode 13 and just have it blank. Yeah. Oh, that's too good. That's rich. Uh, before we get into this, though, really quick, we can't forget that we have to make it one little announcement. One and a half announcements. First announcement is that our book club will be taking place in a couple of weeks. And the book is called What Happened to You? What Happened to You? Written by Oprah and someone else. Bruce Perry. Perry. Bruce Perry. Mostly Bruce Perry with Oprah as secondary. Yeah. Right. Right. What Happened to You? That will be so get your copy, read it. We'll be uh, going over that in the book club two weeks from now. And the reason why it's two weeks from now, this is the other half of the announcement is we're actually not going to be we're gonna, not going to hold one next week. So so there you go. You know, I'll take a little summer vacation. Little summer V, and we'll be back in two with the book club. A V is also a two if you hold up your fingers. Wow. Summer V, two weeks. We'll be back then <laughs> soon. That's perfect. Wow. We're, book club's a little punchy tonight. All right. Let us get rolling with Brooke's Brooke Enough question. Send it on down south of the border, please. Sending. Okie dokie. This is a. <laughs> I hope we didn't fax it. Oh, yeah. Fax it down. Fax it. I'm waiting for my fax machine to warm up. Beep, 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 beep. Yeah. Oh, boy. Uh, wow. This is a thinker. This is a head scratcher here, Brooke. Just in how I, I proposed the question, I think is more, is a little random. Okay, get ready. Here we go. Here's the question. Again, I'm being ambushed right now. I don't know what this question is. Here it is. Tonight, you will be visited by three ghosts. The ghost of psychology past, the ghost of psychology present, and the ghost of psychology future. What are your thoughts on where we've been, where we are, and where we are going? Reflection question. Yeah. I thought That's we a, could do like just a little summary of how psychology and counseling, like the different themes and patterns and a little bit of the history and where we are now, what's kind of big and trendy and or how we've evolved to what we seem to incorporate now. And any guesses on where we might focus more in the future, I know that we can't tell the future, but yeah. I like this, Brooke. This is great. This is great because it's not just about, you know, sharing. I mean, we will have some historical data and things to, to share here, but yeah. uh, a lot of it's, you know, us giving our own opinions about things. This is kind of fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. But, so yeah, everything's really built on each other, right? Like, I mean, we can't be where we are now without what we did in the past, but we still incorporate a lot of what was happening from the get-go. So Ryan, do you, uh, what were the years of Freud? The years of Freud? Freud, yeah. got, Freud got started in like the 1890s and then went up to the 19, early 30s. And I think he died somewhere in there. So yeah, it was. Uh, so the whole field is so new, really. Really. Really new, relatively new. Yes. Yeah. yeah they, the, the, the saying that is, is overused that people like to say is that, that the, um, oh boy, his, uh, psychology has uh, a short history, but a long past. So to say something like, you know, I, I, absolutely, of course, psychology has been around in the psyches of human beings since the beginning of human beings, right? But, uh, uh, but the history of it as an official area of study is relatively short, mm -hmm. you know, hundred and something years, you know, that hasn't been around that long. Mm -hmm. So, but this is, this is good stuff. So let's, let's, I, I, you sort of alluded to this when you said, uh, kind of the history of psychology and counseling. 
would you like us to focus more? Because psychology itself is very broad, right? I mean, there's a there's a lot out there when it comes to psychology as a as a science. People people use, are use psychology to to design dashboards and cars. They use psychology to um, to talk about elections, things like that. Exactly. Uh, but psychotherapy is something that's more a little more specific, even though there's a lot of breadth within psychotherapy. But um, you know psychotherapy starting with with Freud like you mentioned and then kind of going to some other folks behaviorism and all that that's uh that's a little little narrower but still some breadth there so should we should we tackle the whole psychology or, or focus on therapy what do, you, what do you want to do Brooke I was thinking I was probably leaning more towards the therapy part but I kept the word psychology in there just for word association yeah. to help our brains kind of activate a bit well, and and to be fair, also there's there's a lot of overlap there. The, Absolutely, because you're going to use principles from a theory, and then you're going to apply those principles to these different areas, whether it's counseling or marketing or whatever, right? So, mm-hmm. really, there's just these kind of phases that we've, I think, the field has been through. Yes. Uh, one thing to throw out there that I saw online this week, just as a little side note here, someone said, uh, people often think of the, the giants of early psychotherapy. They think of the giants of early psychotherapy as Freud, Jung, and Adler, right? But then they also pointed out that of the giants of early psychotherapy, Freud was five foot seven, Jung was actually six foot tall. And Adler was five feet tall. He was not a giant by most people's conventional sense of the word, right? Mm. Kind of a smaller, smaller person. Interesting. For sure. Wasn't uh, I remember way back in early psychology courses, really founding father of psychology was William Wundt. Yeah, William Wundt wasn't Wundt. I believe so. Bro, I don't know where that just pulled out of, but yeah. Our psych, 1000, our psych 100 uh, teacher, Cornelius Ray, Con Ray. He's uh, hilarious, by the way. Yeah, Willem Wundt, I think is uh, given credit for, I think, starting the first like clinical or clinic for treating distress. I don't know when. It was a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, I recall that as well. Well. Contribution. There it is. There we go. Moving on to the 1960s. I just thought of that, Brooke. Well done. Yeah. <laughs> I know this. Pick me. Yeah. Sure. It's almost, it's almost like there is a, um, who was that? Pavlov? Pavlov's dogs are kind of conditioned there to. Yeah. I was like, I reviewed that flashcard a lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess, I guess maybe, I mean, we could try to <laughs> regurgitate history or or go back to our old textbooks but maybe we could just talk about some of the the general trends of things right like yeah, yeah. Early, early on in psychology at least more on the therapeutic side the idea that that freud was was coming up with was about the idea that we basically that we don't fully know ourselves and we can't fully know ourselves and we have to look to uh you know by, by, by the process of therapy, we can help to understand and uncover some more of ourselves that we don't fully know. He, he would call the unconscious. Um, that we have some motivations and some drives and some things that we do that, uh, uh, that again, we're kind of oblivious to unless they become get, get kind of brought into our awareness. So this is where people say, you know, gosh, I keep doing the same thing, you know, keep making these same mistakes over and over. And I don't know why, or I feel kind of compelled or driven to do things that in the end, I shake my head and go, gosh, why did I do that? Um, and Freud would say that's because the unconscious kind of drives you to do things that you, uh, that, uh, you know, for, for some reason, it has a purpose for doing that, trying to finish unfinished business, or you're trying to uh, be self-destructive or get your aggression out or whatever that might be. Uh, even if you're unaware of it. Uh, and so that's, that's the whole movement of psychoanalysis really kind of stems from that, this idea that we have unconscious motivations to, uh, to do things. And psychoanalysis is this process of trying to uncover those unconscious motivations so that you can 
start taking control of them and say, you know what? I understand this now and I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm going to do something else, make some different choices. It was a bit of a brutal time back then too, you know, psychiatry and I think it was like neurology and asylums and um, oh, trying yeah. to kind of figure it out. And I think Freud is, um, yeah, he not only, not only, you know, conceptualized the way that you just mentioned, but I think it was the focus was on the talking cure, right? Yeah. It's more collaborative and, and, you know, you can use that introspection. And so it, really a drastic shift from mm -hmm. the whole psychiatry movement at the time, right? Yeah, lobotomies. Yeah. Yeah, lobotomies. The, the techniques that they were using back then, we would now find like torturous, right? Like there were like baths that were either, weren't they like extremely hot or cold? And then, the, yeah, the whole yeah. lobotomy when, where they're going in for listeners, but that is your brain has two hemispheres and connect is connected by connective tissue. So they would go in and sever that connective tissue. Um, and they, they felt that that was going to fix things. So, um, and then your two sides of the brain couldn't talk to each other. So people did have differences there. Yes. There was a visitor in the basement. Um, yeah. But there are other problems arose from that, right? Which would have been a little bit of a black swan now that we've read the book. It was, they, they based their information on what they knew, not on what they didn't know. Mm. Right. Right. So, yeah. Anyway. That's a interesting thing. Sorry, ECT. There, sure. I mean, yeah, ECT, which is still used and is actually um, for, some people swear by it, say that it's a, it's a very effective treatment for severe, severe, severe depression, mm -hmm. kind of the kind of depression where people can hardly move or, or function at all. Um, there was and uh, there was a, a, you made me think of an old one. Brooke from from way back in the day uh, called trepanning, trepanning, trepanning maybe it was called, but uh, that was where they would actually holes. They would drill a hole in someone's head, yeah, to try to relieve pressure and maybe let out whatever sort of mental <clears throat> problem was going on. They'd actually, drill a hole in the skull to help uh, relieve some psychic pressure somehow. So yeah, we've had. A variety. So that so Freud was a revolution in that he was like, oh, let's just talk to people instead. Let's see what happens. And found some early success, interestingly enough, with people, a lot of people who had hysterical, what they would call hysterical paralysis or hysterical blindness. And someone who really wants to punch somebody, uh, their arm goes numb because their psyche says, no, you shouldn't punch this person. You shouldn't punch your dad or whatever it might be. Uh, let's talk about it instead. And, and through talking about it, they would find the paralysis list. So there's interesting stuff in the early days of Freud. Mm -hmm. uh, and his disciples were Adler and Jung. Adler and Jung. More psychoanalytic as well. Yeah. Adler and Jung and, uh, and Freud's daughter, Anna, and a bunch, bunch of other people who kind of came along and took up the torch after Freud. Yeah. Uh, but then there was another... A, a, a swing to another side that said, forget about this unconscious stuff. Forget mm -hmm. about all of this business that says we're going, you know, we're acting on impulses and all that stuff. Let's instead go to just looking at the behaviors. Let's go strictly to the behaviors. And we get to know people like Watson and Skinner and uh, Pavlov yeah. and things, terms like classical conditioning yeah. and uh and we see a bunch of that today in dog training and aba work like behavioral analysis work for uh persons with autism sure like there's it's very much behaviorism but well, it's uh, so it's almost detached it's uh, a plus b equals c like if you do this enough times then the pattern's going to create and and then there we are right well, sure. And this is also laying the groundwork for modern day cognitive behavioral therapy, which is right. very much uh, widely, widely known, widely accepted, widely promoted. And for some graduate students, it's the only thing they learn. 
that's the only thing they learn is effective. Just, mm-hmm. just, just CBT. So, so behaviorism is a, is a, not just a big movement. It's a massive movement. And some might say it's the, the kind of victorious uh, when it comes to psychoanalysis versus CBT, a lot of people say that, right. uh, that behaviorism wins. But and we wouldn't al- have CBT without cognition, right? That was kind of the next wave after behaviorism. Mm-hmm. Or was cognitive it, therapy. And also the uh, humanistic existential stuff too, right? Because that was in the 1950s, yeah. I believe, like the Rollo May and Victor Frankel. And How many waves are there? Carl Rogers. Or person-centered, yeah. Rogers as well. How many waves? Yeah. Well, it's kind of like I, any of the big... If you think about the big theories, they all kind of came one after another. Some of them clustered, but yeah, I think it was in the fifties. Like uh, Brooke has mentioned, the cognitive side of things as well as the existential. I think it was all happening around the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in the fifties, I believe. In Gestalt, there, like psychology as well, kind of how we experience the world, that became something as well. What's we know about Gestalt, there, Joe? That's Ooh. an interesting one. Yeah, I think for like, I've used Gestalt before. I think it's tended to be a little bit less of a focus on feelings and more of kind of how we experience the world. So I, a technique for Gestalt just to say would be like a two chair technique where you kind of, you know, have the clients move between like there's an empty chair and there's a client and they might be themselves and then they might talk to either another person or another part of themselves and they actually move back and forth. And so it's just kind of actually having them sit in that role. Um, so, and try to experience whatever's going on playing that part. So that's just one little technique. I know that doesn't sum up all of what it is, but sure. it's just the process of, yeah. Experiencing versus just talking about stuff. Yeah, sure. Yes. I like that. I learned a long time that- that the gestalt means whole w-h-o-l-e right so the whole the idea is that we're trying to incorporate the whole experience of the person their behaviors their thoughts their feelings let's make this a whole experience for them um and the empty chair is a is a is a big one for them um a gestalt therapist and there's there's certainly a lot of overlap and bleed over for for a lot of folks but um if you're sitting in there in a session and you're talking and like you're tapping your toe at the same time, you can start there. definitely going to point that out. Like, tell me what your toe is telling us right now. You know, <laughs> let's talk about what's, what's going on with your, with your, you know, twitchy arm right now. What are you, what are you trying to say here? Mm-hmm. Just, Which, then fast forward to more modern day of. Somatic. Exactly. Somatic and parts work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You said parts work? Yeah, when when you like what um what part of you wants to whatever like what your toe is saying that's part of your body or part of your psyche, what part mm-hmm. is what that part is saying. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, it was interesting so back. Schwartz, right? That's who's doing oh, a lot of that. Richard right Schwartz, now? yeah. Richard It's like yeah. the the myth of the unified self, the family yeah. systems approach, yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. It seems like yeah, the fifties or I believe it's the fifties was such a, a busy time in psychology because you had the, the cognitive theories uh, pop up uh, from after behavior behaviorism as well as the existential stuff. And one theory I kind of like is REBT, rational emotive behavioral therapy, and so it's kind of within the cognitive realm. But it actually. It was a big shift there because it started to focus more on shifting people, changing people's beliefs versus more of the, you know, um, creating or developing more insight of the unconscious, right? Um, so it's kind of a, a shift away from the psychodynamic theories. Yeah. Albert Ellis, right? Albert Ellis, Maybe. yeah. And then, uh, yeah, as Ryan mentioned, cognitive behavioral therapy kind of came a little while later, combining the behaviorism with the cognitive theories mm-hmm. and i think that was in the 70s probably 10 or 20 years after yeah. which is extremely influential cbt yeah. yeah yeah now they've also been like so kind of more in the more recent decades if we talk the past 30 40 years 
then like somatic work has really taken off, right? Uh, I think that was huge. Um, And then there was a big wave into neurobiology. Mm. Yeah, but then a lot of trauma work and attachment work like uh, that started coming out what I like about neurobiology stuff is it's actually quantifying the theories that everything that came before it we can take a look with brain scans or different things and be like what are we actually making changes or differences what's actually going on there and before we weren't able to do that granted it's not telling us nearly close to probably a tenth of what the brain is doing. Um, yeah. But it gives us something more. Yeah, absolutely. And I think more recently too, we've seen uh, more the Eastern philosophies or like mindfulness yeah. has become a big thing or yeah, Buddhist the psychology. Last 20 years. Yeah. Last 20 years as well. So yeah, I think um, realize that we maybe went too cognitive and been neglecting the body. So kind of yeah. shifted back to the, interpersonal neurobiology or kind of Dan Siegel's contribution and that's actually more recent or even uh, emotion focused therapy when was that 20 years ago that's true to actually start talking about emotions again was that Sue Johnson did it in couples and stuff right the emotionally focused and was that was that just 20 years ago gosh I don't know for certain yeah no no yeah Ryan do you kind of know when emotion focus came back uh, there was there was someone else who really came up with emotion focused therapy, and he passed away a year ago or two years ago, and I don't remember. One of the founders passed away a couple years ago. Um, from research from New York City, can't remember the name. Uh, he Gary did emotion. Fo- no, nope. never mind. Sorry, Gary Craig. He did something called EFT, which is a different <laughs> a different thing. Sure. <laughs> sure. But uh, I mean, anyway, the, the, so that, that kind of came out first, emotion-focused therapy. Sue Johnson came in and said, let's apply this to couples. And then she came up, came up with emotion-focused therapy for couples. Her book came out in 2004, I think. Uh, I don't remember exactly. Yeah. But, but it's, uh, it's been around for a little bit. Yeah. And um, yeah, I think, there's, I think there's actually a tension out there about, when uh okay 2008 her book came out got it all right uh but i think there's a tension out there between uh, there's always been a tension in psychotherapy about what should we focus on what's what's the what's at the root what's the cause of the problem right is it a person's background is it the way they think is it how their emotions work is it what's going on in their body is it um you know something more behavioral and these are and it's 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 not that there's wrong answers necessarily, um, but I but I think we have a real hard time finding a, an actual unified theory. And and I guess when we get to the part of your question, Brooke, that says, well, what's the future going to hold? I think I think the uh, the dilemma that we're in in psychology is um, is the future going to be more dispersion of theories i mean there are there are many many theories out there of, of how what makes people tick and they're like i like some recent count was like 700 like 700 oh, wow. psych, psychotherapy psychotherapeutic modalities out there yeah. um are there gonna is that just gonna incre- keep multiplying and increasing you know will there be thousands of uh of ways of viewing human behavior and thought and emotion or will there be more of a unification will someone kind of come along and say okay let's bring this together i know there are people out there who are trying to do that with integrated therapies and some things that are more eclectic and take into account uh, a variety of different influences none of them are really taking off in a significant way obviously or else we would hear about them more but uh but are so are we leading towards more diversification or or something that's more unified and I'm not sure. What do you guys think? Um, I think uh, it's so interesting. I think when I was doing my undergrad um, many years ago, they were saying how uh, you train to be a certain, eventually you train to be a certain type of therapist. So you're a psychodynamic therapist or you're a cognitive behavioral therapist. And uh, 
it was believed that you have to become really good at that one theory. And then they realized after, you know, with uh, the whole dodo bird verdict and whatnot, that these techniques work equally as well. So I think it needs to be. What's that mean? What's that mean? Give me a, what's that mean alert here? So, so it's this uh, meta-analysis from this guy, Bruce Wampold, and he did a bunch of research and found out that all these great therapeutic techniques that we've already discussed work equally as well. So he was saying there's actually other factors that lead to positive outcomes. For instance, the therapeutic relationship, expectancy factors like placebo, um, what the client brings to the table that accounts for 40% of it. So client characteristics, and then 15% is actually the technique, but a little deceiving because good luck trying to facil facilitate any change without any knowledge of techniques, right? Um, so they all kind of work together in a ah. synergistic way. Mm. Um, so I think we've kind of moved more towards the whole idea of eclectic approaches because we can't really fit clients into our theories or approaches. We've got to be able to adapt a bit and find ones that fit their needs. So I think from a therapeutic perspective, I think a holistic or more of an integrative approach or eclectic approach is probably going to be here to stay. That's just my perspective on it. An eclectic approach is here to stay, which is which is fine. Uh, it's it's there's a dilemma though. Again, another dilemma here that I find that the more the more theories there are, I think the more challenging it gets for for clinicians to communicate with one another at times because we're talking about kind of different stuff. Say I trade like I have I have someone in individual therapy, and they're also in couples therapy with someone else, and we're working for very different viewpoints or worldviews about how, how clients work you know that's becomes a challenge um and and at, at some point it becomes really difficult for the for the public to know kind of what they want as well right i mean there are so many theories out there i don't understand them and i've been a psychologist for 20 years you know and yeah i don't i don't understand all the theories at all um how in the world is someone feeling some distress supposed to be able to discern between one therapy and another uh, in order to find the help that they need, you know? Yeah, mm -hmm. that's true. I think um, that 40% that the client brings to the table is client characteristics. Uh, I see that as indicators of resiliency. So I think positive psychology has also been very popular as of late. So trying to find out what some of those character strengths and virtues are um can, can help just in a more general sense but i it's 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 kind of tricky though ryan because scott miller did a lot of research on this and he was finding that the seasoned veterans and your therapists out there often do worse than brand new therapists at times right mm -hmm. so again he says be very cautious about focusing too much in technique here and you know there's other things that are important like outcome measures or like um encouraging feedback and and because a, a client doesn't necessarily know what all these theories are i think it's up to the therapist to kind of discern or based on what the client's sharing with you is to to adapt and find something that would be a good fit and if it isn't then they can provide that feedback and, and kind of mm -hmm. um be able to uh adapt when needed right true yes i agree with that and i also think that the uh the client's experience um you know it it varies over time as well you know there's there's parts of this that you know maybe a few sessions in they're they're going to feel like this isn't working for me but then once some once the relationship builds and they feel a greater connection with the therapist they might find okay this is a better better connection for me it's just that some therapies even value that relationship more than others do right yeah mm -hmm. It's a challenge. I think I, I'm not. I'm, I guess I'm just being kind of a a naysayer in some ways. Saying, "Gosh, this is a very difficult. It's very difficult to know what the what the future is going to hold for psychotherapy, and even what uh, what it should be, really." Yeah. And I think, what are uh, we to say? We can, we don't have that crystal ball. We won't know for sure, right? It's yeah. uh, who knew that polyvagal theory was coming down the pipeline five years ago, but there it is and took over and slam. Everybody wants to know what it's about and how to utilize that in your counseling room. And it seems like right now, everybody's grasping at like, how do I make this tangible? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. I want to know what I'm doing is tangible. Yeah. Okay. I've got to, I got to throw out one other thing here too. This is my most, maybe my most cynical comment uh, yet, if you're ready. Uh, and this is speaking from a guy who has, <laughs> I work uh, for a magazine where I interview people who have developed a lot of theories, right? A lot of people have different developed a lot of these different approaches. But I know that there are there are people, and, and I, in fact, I remember back in graduate school, one of my classmates said, and one of their goals for their career was, I want to develop my own therapeutic modality, right? And, and I remember asking her, which, well, what's that going to be? And she says, I don't know yet. I just want to develop one, right? So it's sort of like uh, a bit of, like the wild west in some ways, like staking a claim. Like there's some, some therapists out there, you know, like my classmate who was like, this is how I'll make a name for myself. I'll develop my own therapy approach. And then that's what will, you know, bring me success or, or, you know, money or whatever, It'll make my business. Right. Uh, and people can just kind of do that. You can develop, I could develop my own Ryan Howe's approach to therapy, write about it, write a book about it. And then suddenly I have my own modality to add to those 700. And it's the Ryan house therapy. And then I do trainings on that. And I talk to people about how effective it is and how helpful it is. Um, and there's, so there's a business side to this that is not always science-based. It's not always, you know, based in the, the truly the best interest of seeking truth and, and doing the best for humanity. But some people who are like, Hey, I just want to make a buck, you know? Yeah. So Anyway, I hate to, hate to sound like the cynic here, but that's that's a reality that I think people need to know. Uh, well, that, that's a good point, right? Like, I feel like there is probably, well, not probably, like, well, I don't have research to back it up, but there's, yeah, I think there is, um, if you want to help younger therapists or newer therapists be better therapists or any therapist be better therapists, I would think you would want to pour into um, having a mentor or like a supervisor, a clinical supervisor, and, and making sure that relationship is working well and versus coming up with your own theory and then training people in that theory without any certainty that your theory is doing any better than the other 700 when it's all about relationship, right? Yeah, I don't know if we need more theories right now. And I, I think over the past four or five years, correct me if I'm wrong, it's been um, a lot of the stuff that we see is people rehashing the same kind of ideas, a lot of positive yeah. psychology and mindfulness and neurobiology and, and, and just uh, putting new names to it. Yeah. Right. So I don't know if there's anything huge coming. Polyvagal theory is intriguing, but that he's a biologist, right? Like that's some, some really cool research that he's done. Um, yeah, I think also oh, polyvagal, polyvagal theory. And, and I've, I've speaking with, I've spoken with Porges before, you know, but he'll even admit the fact that polyvagal theory is a theory. It's not, it hasn't been proven out. I mean, a lot of the claims that they make are not facts. They're theoretical. It's like, oh, well, if the vagus nerve does this, then maybe it creates this in people, but it's not even factual. Mm. So, yeah. so, yeah. so, so we got to be careful about the claims that are made sometimes by these, these, these folks or the people who believe in these uh, theories, right? Yeah. And I've heard similar critiques in neurobiology in general. Yeah. Um, over asserting uh, or making some strong assumptions from the fMRI readings, right? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think moving forward, trauma um, mm. is, is such a big area of focus. And I, I think uh, we've talked about how every mental health disorder in the DSM fits into one of two categories. You know, behaviors or thoughts that are very chaotic, or behaviors and thoughts that are very rigid. But both come trauma. from trauma. Yeah, a lot of it comes from trauma, addiction. There's been a big connection there too. So, um, but I've always liked existentialism, just trying to find meaning and purpose and yeah. whatnot. I think existentialism might make a swing here, swing yeah. back in. It already is amongst the kit, like the teens. Yeah. I feel like the what is like, what's the point and what's the purpose and yeah, you know, those questions are coming up so much, um, and especially with climate change and yeah everything going on in the world there's a lot of yeah ex like existential crisis at a young age or that's yeah. what i'm viewing it as so yeah so, so i heard of there's a speaker i've heard about it. i read some of his material like his name's paul Chappelle, and he's an american 
served in the military and now he does talks. I think he's a pretty well-known speaker. And he talked about how Maslow's hierarchy and needs should be turned upside down. Because if you find, if you don't have meaning and purpose, then what is the point of, of going through all those steps? So you're saying if you have meaning and purpose, then you're actually going to find a way to survive and find a way to, to find, to, to make sure those basic needs are met, which is an interesting theory as well, right? Because a lot of people don't have that meaning and purpose and they're just, you know, they're not engaging. They're not doing much of anything. Um, yeah, Bruce Perry is a big trauma expert. We're going to obviously in the process of reading his book, but very intrigued to hear or listen to this or read this book and see what he has to say. Mm -hmm. um, I We talk about evolutionary psychology, and I know that's very much a theory as well, but uh, you know the same themes keep on popping up. You can study it as much as you want, but the the um, the best predictor of physical as well as your mental health is the quality of your connections in your life, right? Yeah, and or that's being shown nature, over and over again. Or, you know, um, contributing, finding that purpose. Like these are themes that are, we know to be true, right? Mm -hmm. So then what's in the way of finding that connection, right? Yeah, exactly. And, and what can we do to get rid of that barrier? Which is often thinking, trauma or... Yeah, well, I'm circling, circling back to like the younger teenagers and the existential crises of like, is the world going to implode while they're like, are they the last generation kind of thing, right? Um, so I, I wonder if in some weird way, we almost have to loop back in like more acceptance type therapy as well to say sure. what's in your control, what's not in your control and like we have to accept that this is where we're at and and how can we move forward from this and how can we find meaning and purpose and fulfillment given the context that we're in mm -hmm. let's get creative so maybe there's going to be a cre creativity or a curiosity thing or if it's going to be relationship or trauma focused existentialism i think we got to get something deeper than how does our nervous system work i think we're beyond mm -hmm. that yeah yeah, a good point. I would agree with that. Um, all right, since we're talking about what, what the future might look like, I just jotted down a couple ideas here. As you guys were talking, getting my juices flowing here. I think uh, I'm thinking of four areas that I think are going to be big areas for psychology and as a result, psychotherapy as well in the future. One of them is uh, prevention and, and screening. I think there's going to be like the a greater understanding of mental health issues, you know, even the Olympics uh, pointed that out and, and more and more uh, famous people like your own Prince Harry uh, coming out talking about mental health issues. Our own Prince Harry. Your own, yeah, part of the Commonwealth, yes. Just on a quick side note, did you know our, our prime minister, Justin Trudeau, his mom has like severe mental health. She's bipolar. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah. I saw her speak. Yeah, so they live yeah. locally, like he grew up locally to where we are. Uh, but yeah, his mom diagnosed bipolar, so she has a memoir and speaks about it, huge advocate. Oh. Anyways, there we are. So I, I think- book if you wanna read it, sorry. Okay. Me too, changing my mind. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that'll be our next book club selection, who knows? But prevention and screening, I think are gonna be a big deal. Prevention, you know, of course, mental health prevention, but screening, I think is gonna be a big deal too. This is maybe this is the psychologist in me who says I think people may take more mental health uh, have more mental health checkups, more exams and things like that, that that actually have some objective data. You know, if someone was able to take a test when they were 16, 18, and then another one when they're 30 and 40 and 50, whatever that might be, you might be able to see where some patterns are developing, maybe some some decline might be be, uh, be happening. Even better if it was a yearly test. Anyway, prevention and screening. Next one, you guys already hit on basically, but I think loneliness and intimacy is going to be a major mental health issue in the next, in the coming decades. Mm. Um, Those are perfect words for it. Thanks to, thanks to my phone and other people's phones and other people's computers and kind of the isolation that we all experience and kind of the pseudo intimacy we have through social media. I think that Loneliness and intimacy are going to be massive mental health issues going forward. 
also pandemics, you know, they have some contribution to loneliness and intimacy and who knows when we're gonna get out of this one. Uh, another one that I think is, is gaining more traction, but I think we're gonna maybe hear more about it because I think it's, uh, it's getting more publicized is the idea of financial stress and the, the contributions of, of financial uh, PTSD, basically, you know, people who are, are suffering sort of traumatic experiences based on going bankrupt, going into collections, having, having banks or, or, you know, collection agencies calling them, kind of hunting them down, trying to get their money, um, you know, with more and more college-age students getting credit cards and, and, and also student loan debts. I think there are, there's a lot of opportunities for people to feel pretty traumatized by their financial state. And the final one, which really has been talked about for a long time on a physical uh, dimension, but not so much on a psychological dimension, and that's aging. Uh, as, as our populations get older and older, uh, you know, people are living a longer, longer life. Uh, and I know that people have been talking for a long time about how, you know, investing in nursing homes and that sort of thing is a good idea because everyone's, you know, people are getting older, living longer, but I don't think people have spent enough time thinking about the psychology of that and the, you know, what happens when someone is maybe feeling more isolated and withdrawn and, uh, and, and not able to connect uh, emotionally for a couple of decades at the end of their life, or uh, if they're afraid of that happening, or if they have a physical in incapacitation and they're actually having to live with that later on in life. And how are we gonna address these folks, especially if they have um, limited uh, monetary resources, you know? I think that's an awesome list there, Ryan. Holy smokes. I think you, you did a lot of good brainstorming there. That, um, oh, thanks. But yeah, and the, the baby boomers are getting older. So I was chatting with my dad about that. Like that's a huge generation, a big generation there who's aging and dealing with a lot of loss in their lives. And um, just like you said, it's kind of the, a few of your things, aging, what comes with that and there's a loneliness. Um, so I think it all kind of goes in together for a few of those. That population is going to need a lot of support. They are. There's some overlap though, because mentioned loneliness like if someone has strong connections that would probably buffer them with the aging process right or the sure. financial instability and stress sure like there's a lot of overlap there yeah but then those people who loved ones are just they're outliving people or just losing people right there's only so many yeah try to help their connections as much as you can but yeah. at some point yeah those nursing right. homes fill up and then people just seem to be so lonely but anyways yeah. totally. not everyone not everyone but but also as i mean I hate to say but the, the older generations right now were not uh they weren't privileged with as much kind of mental health knowledge as as the younger generations are right so like gen x and millennials and gen z i mean other the as as our generations kind of grow older very much aware of the effects of depression, anxiety, loneliness, you know, all these different isolation, all these problems. I think there's going to be more people like saying, Hey, wait a minute, we need to, unfortunately, that's, that's going to be going to be the, the catalyst for people paying more attention to that. And that's why I think psychology will have to pay more attention to it in the future. Yeah, for sure. I was going to mention too, um, I think all of us have done the basic training for EMDR and I hope we've gained some more understanding in terms of what the mechanism of change is there. I have a theory in terms of what it is, but I don't know with the right clients in the right situation. My goodness, that technique can help people uh, move forward, Absolutely. process trauma and whatnot. So more like, a, I guess, a body-based type therapy back to the somatic stuff. But You're talking about that as, as another wave in the future? Another uh, it's, it's gaining strong. a lot of popularity, right? A lot of, I think it's a, a pretty... Well, the amount of people getting trained in EMDR and being, you know, going to um, yep. joining crisis uh, response um, initiatives and whatnot. And I just think it's seems like it's gaining steam, EMDR. Uh, I'm not sure if Ryan, if you think differently, if it's. But, I mean, um, I, I don't even think it's a matter of opinion. I think, I think just objectively, yes, it is gaining 
steam and it's it's uh it's uh, it's much more widely there the tradies are multiplying so yeah it is it's just un- growing it's a bit of a unusual technique a lot of people think it's kind of odd it's not like your traditional talk therapy situation right right but so. when prince harry's talking about it on international television it's going to get some press that's true that's true that's true yeah doing the butterfly hug i heard I didn't actually watch it. Once again, you're Harry. Getting a bunch of press for it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Any, anything else we got for the future? Anything else you guys think might be uh, a new wave yeah. or something you'd like to see happen regarding psychology in the future? I would, I would personally like to see... I, I've, I've noticed a decrease in, in stigmatization of, of mental health uh, issues and 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 of psychotherapy it's i believe that there's less stigma associated with that but i would i would think there's still a ways to go when it comes to that yeah i agree better funding yeah. would be yes. great like recognition from insurance policies or funders yes um or a better understanding of those insurance policies and funders um on how therapy works and how five sessions is just getting to know each other like yeah that's true Oddly enough, yeah, Prince Harry, the whole stigma thing too. Like a lot of celebrities and athletes are are talking more about it, which I think is fantastic. Oh, what a what a change, you know, over the last ten years. But I guess it's good to remind people that we are we have yet to master therapy and mental health. My goodness, our, our field has made strides, but we have so far to go. And that's the intriguing thing about it is it is kind of like a wild west a bit. Um, yeah. There's so much uncertainty moving forward and what's going to stick and what's going to help people long-term. So it's not like accounting here or like a, you know, a a profession where they've got it pretty nailed down. Very true. I I think we're, we're getting closer all the time, but uh, I agree, Chris. I think it's, and we might have to just make peace with the fact that, that since the human psyche is something that's so, elusive and so you know so variant you know it's hard, hardly no two brains are alike no two people are alike that yeah. uh that to say we're ever going to perfect psychotherapy may be uh, lofty lofty and yeah. impossible we may just have to always be evolving and, and trying to figure it out and striving and on that note huge appreciation and gratitude for all the researchers so that we can learn from what they're like, all of that behind the scenes work, all the different researchers and like all the different population groups and demographics, like it's pretty incredible when we look at that, like it's not my forte, but huge appreciation for those guys to be out there doing studies and checking stuff out so that we can then incorporate that into what we think is best practice. Yeah, grinding it out. It's true. It's true. It's not just us coming up with theories. These theories come from research most often, not always, but so thank you to those researchers. Sometimes the theories just come from a graduate student who says, I want to become famous. That's true. We got to watch out for those. <laughs> those happen too. Buyer beware. Caveat emptor, everybody. Look out. Yeah. <laughs> uh let's wrap it up for tonight you guys brooke thank you for thank you for a very brooke topic wow so brooke you guys should be super excited for chris's next topic i remember what it was it was was very vanilla oh jeez shots fired wow kidding throw his weight shade look at finest topic yet wow Chris is going to ask me later. So what was your second idea for a topic? And then he's going to steal it. You may. Uh, We'll see everybody in two weeks for the book club. Right? Book club. Yep. Do we have a... uh, To you, Bruce Perry and Oprah Winfrey. Can we do a quick recommendation for what people can do next week instead of listen to us? Listen to a previous episode. Oh, except for the toxic masculinity don't do that one our boot camp encourages people to do certain things each day 
So I'm going to encourage our listeners to spend 20 minutes in nature three times next week. That's nice. Doing anything in particular or just just being in nature, being outside? Just being outside. You can go for a walk if you want, but just um, notice what's around you. Focus on the senses. Intentionally engage with the nature. Just be in nature. Yeah. Okay. I'm down with it. That sounds great. I'll do that. Mm-hmm. I'll do that. Okay. So for us tonight, that's it. Like and subscribe on Apple, Google, Podbean, Audible, Spotify, Stitcher, or YouTube. Send your questions to info at mentalhealthbootcamp.com. Visit us on Facebook or Instagram. Tell a friend or two or more. And good night, everybody. All of the ghosts of technology past, present, future. Good night.